Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of PLP Talks, where we have interesting conversations with people we know in the bike industry. Uh, this episode is really special to me because we get a chance to have an hour-long chat with Jonathan Mouse from Bike Portland. It just happens that Bike Portland turns 14 years old this Monday, April 8th. So really good timing. Totally unplanned, but, but it worked out. In this interview, we talk about the early origins of Bike Portland, the ups and downs, how Jonathan can keep from burning out, what he loves most about doing this work. We also touch on a little bit on where cycling is at in Portland. It seems like it's in decline, and we talk about some of the factors uh, leading to that. I think you guys will dig this episode, and before we jump into it, if you guys like this content, consider supporting it uh, via the PayPal and Patreon links in the show notes. And without further ado, let's get on to the show. So I'm super excited to have a dear friend and colleague, Jonathan Mouse from uh, Bike Portland, if you're not familiar with Bike Portland, you know he's one of the early bike bloggers in, uh, I don't know, 14 years ago. Uh, he definitely inspired what Laura and I do. I think if Bike Portland didn't, didn't exist, you know, Pathless Pedaled wouldn't exist. And I'm sure I can say the same for lots of uh, bike blogs out there or bike websites. So let's uh, welcome to the show, Jonathan Mouse. Hey, Ross. Good to be here. So we're just... Uh, chatting offline there's gonna be a big date coming up for bike portland when is it uh monday april april 8th uh would be the 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 first post i did 14 years ago on bike portland was april 8th 2005 that's amazing (laughs) yeah it's kind of embarrassing reading the post too because it's you know it's just so like you know uh, immature and innocent and silly right like like a lot of these things start so let's talk a little bit about the beginning beginning for those that aren't familiar with kind of your origin story um i believe you were doing marketing at that time with like uh old man mountain and then kind of transferred to the website yeah well after i worked with old man mountain for a while which was super fun uh my friend channing hammond making really great racks and we were really talking up bike packing back then which uh, on mountain bikes which i was really excited about um, uh, I loved doing that. And then I, I reached a point where it was kind of like I wanted to do a bunch more. And Old Man Mountain was just a tiny company and I realized that, you know, there wasn't really a, a future in terms of me, you know, evolving my career. So I decided to continue to do marketing and PR for Old Man Mountain, but also take on other clients. And then I spent several years, years just building up uh, my business, representing other uh, other brands, doing uh, independent PR and marketing, helping people get in the news and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And then Long story short, moved up to Portland, uh, was super inspired and amazed by what was going on with bikes up here. And uh, one thing led to another, and I started posting about it on the internet, and then eventually shut down my PR and marketing business because I had so much fun covering the Portland bike scene. Was there anything in particular that that um, that made you think, you know, it, the Portland bike scene deserves its own kind of web presence? <laughs> Well, it was. It, I mean, it wasn't all innocent, right? So, like, I, I understand marketing, and I, I was an internet person from from very early on. I mean, that's was my sort of expertise in the bike industry. Really, was I was the guy going on every little forum, like mtbr.com, and like talking up my clients' products and just trolling all kinds of internet sources for information. I was super into it, so I, I understood the internet. I understood branding, um, and I and I and when I got to Portland. At the, in the time where, you know, it was really like the number one cycling city. And here I was thinking, okay, I understand the bike industry. I understand marketing. I understand the internet. I'm in Portland. This is the bike capital of America. And I was thinking, boy, if there was one website that was sort of first to mind on this new thing called the internet, uh, and pe- when people thought of cycling in Portland, that might be 
you know, that really might be something valuable or at least worth, you know, being able to own or being able to manage it. And so, you know, the, in the early days I saw it, I was going to be sort of the Yahoo of, of Portland bike. I wanted everything on bike Portland uh, and it took a while for me to sort of find that that wasn't the best way to go about it. it wasn't about having everything on there necessarily. It was about being selective and helping people uh, help, you know, being a filter for what people, what I thought people really need to know about. But anyway, so uh, yeah, I did. It wasn't completely innocent. Uh, I, I mean, I started posting without, without thinking it would be a business, but pretty quickly I realized, boy, uh, people like this. I like doing it. And I think if it can be sort of the number one place people think about uh, for bikes in Portland, it, it would be worth doing. For sure. Um, I remember when I discovered upon uh, Bike Portland over a decade ago, for me, it was the, the ultimate website to kind of export like bike culture to other parts of the country. You know, like all the weird events, uh, you know, the clown house, you know, all the, the, the early bike cultural stuff, which, you know, I didn't see anyone else covering at the time. Yeah, I, I mean, that's it's interesting you say that. I mean, I took, I do take, and I took then a lot of pride in being able to serve that to a lot of other people. And I was aware, I was conscious that that was unique and distinct. And I, I knew about the internet. One of the things I've always known is that if you want to do something that's valuable uh, and stand out, you have to do something different. That's super important. A lot of people start up stuff on the internet that's really not distinctive in any way. And I realized looking around at the environment in Portland and what was going on in the street, you know, people having tall bike jousts in the nude with fire bombs. And I mean, all the different things that were going on, people dressing up like bunnies for Easter rides and just riding through the neighborhood. I mean, pedal palooza, so many things. We had a, a, a bike dance troupe that's still going on, uh, you know, all female bike dance troupe with little pink mini bikes going, I mean, really, really interesting stuff. And you're right. There was nobody else covering that. And I, I just felt super lucky to be able to, uh, put that on the internet and know that other people around the country were like, their jaws were like hanging on the floor, like, Oh my God. And bike moves was another big one. That was something I think bike Portland was sort of the first place where you could see pictures of bike moves and sort of try to wrap your head around what that was in terms of like people, random strangers showing up basically to help you move your apartment or your house and doing it all by bike. And that, I, that was some of the most exciting stuff to share just to have the photos and to explain what that was. Uh, because I knew that it was it was uh, interesting for people and unique. Like in in terms of I think the, the bike media landscape uh, back then, or even uh, to some extent today, like a lot of the coverage was so like competitive focused, like the racing focused, and you know to have a, a site that showed kind of the quirky you know bike commuting things, the bike moves was just like mind blowing. You know I think one of the things that's made uh, Bike Portland work is that I have like a real uh, like a really well rounded background when it comes to biking. I'm sort of like an I'm an omnivore. Like I do all the stuff, you know, like I'll happily sit on a recumbent and ride. I mean, I've gone through phases in my life and still am sometimes when I'm shaving my legs and taking my heart rate in the morning because I want to try to be as fast as I can and be able to compete. Um, I've done touring. I've done, you know, all sorts of stuff. I've done the crazy all night ride. So and that that was that's a really important part of Bike Portland is to bring all that together. And that, that was one of the fundamental uh, sort of uniting purposes of the site was that uh, trying to get all these different facets of the community to come together in one place, at least maybe once a day or a few times a week. And that shared connection of information and networking uh, is a powerful thing. And that's kind of like in my way, in my thinking, one of the best parts about the internet is that connectedness that it can provide different people around one topic. And so that was really like a conscious thing where 
I didn't want to just share the cultural aspects and the quirky parts. I would purposely then interject something that was more competitive, something about racing, just to jar people's minds who were there for the zoo bomb stuff. And then they learn, oh, wait, why are these people dressing up in silly costumes and doing time trials or something? I wanted them to clash with each other. And then ultimately they end up understanding those different uh, perspectives and different parts of our community. And then Ultimately, the most exciting thing is they start participating in other parts of the community. So you have racers showing up at an advocacy meeting. You have advocates going out to, you know, on the street for, you know, something. So that was a real exciting thing, uh, you know, mixing all the different nonprofits in town who I started to realize when I, I covered the scene and, and started getting out there that people didn't know what other people were working on. Right. I mean, that's we I guess we sort of take that for granted because we're all so connected now. But I was starting to see programs from nonprofits that were running basically in complete silos because they had no awareness. And how would they before everybody was on the Internet? Right. I mean, it's hard for some people to realize. But I mean, Bike Portland was posting daily with comments before there was Facebook, before there was Twitter, before all this social media connectedness. So people really had no other way to connect online. Um, so it was a very, I think, I think it was really profound. I'm biased, but, and so, but it was neat because then uh, people in town who were, whether you were just a small activist with one little idea, you could find out, oh, the big, you know, the, the advocacy group is working on something I can, I can attach to that. And, or the advocacy group says, wow, we want to go meet this person because they're hosting a ride that's so-and-so and aligns with our mission. So then all these connections start happening and it was super exciting. It's, it's totally easy to take for granted. Uh, you know, we recently moved to Missoula and there's lots of kind of active transportation bike things, but there's a big news hole. But I kept thinking when we first moved here, you know, it'd be awesome if there was a resource like Bike Portland where, <laughs> you know, you, you, you knew what people were doing. You, there were, uh, you knew how to get involved uh, you knew what the the city was doing, and there's kind of like a little checks and balances because people were constantly being informed. Yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about the community aspect of it, but really, as you as you probably have some experience with, I mean, news is really what drives traffic. That's you know, and that's that's something that I that I noticed not being a news person by training. I didn't go to journalism school or anything, and experiencing it through Bike Portland was when I first started to break news. I could I could feel and, and sense that wow okay everything's changed now and I think the same with the community they started to see the site differently once they read stuff on Bike Portland that they hadn't seen in the Oregonian or other local media outlets and it changed how the community saw the site it started to shift from oh here's this really great guy who's this volunteer and oh we're so thankful that he's out covering our stuff and that's so cool and fun and we like the pictures it went from that to oh that's new oh oh it's journalism oh, wow, this is this is different, right? So, and then obviously, yeah, from a business standpoint, I wouldn't be here if I was just covering the quirky cultural stuff. It's the news that really pays the bills. So one of the, I think the cool aspects about Bike Portland is it, it, it feels as if it's been able to kind of help shape or form or direct some of the politics around uh, transportation in the city. Like how early on did you get a sense that you know, the website could be a, a tool for, for change? I mean, I mean, pretty early on, it was just a, I mean, I've always been like a news junkie myself. So I brought that to the work from an early stage. And it was just a matter of getting to know the right people and getting to know enough people um, before I started sharing news and realizing how once you start doing news, all of a sudden all these different doors open up in terms of access to politicians, uh, different people reading it. And then you start to see impact. You start to see agencies and bureaucrats and city staff 
uh, emailing you or, and there's, there are several instances that, that always flashed to my mind. One of them was, this was probably in 2007 or eight. So, I mean, I, it was only three years or so into the site, but people need to realize that I basically spent every waking moment of my life for those initial years, really focusing on the site. It was a ton of work and I put, I put a lot of time into it. So that it evolved pretty quickly. So I think it was around 2008 or so. And I was, uh, covering a drunk driver trial, a guy who'd hit and killed somebody in Portland, a uh, really bad case of, of, of drunk driving. And I was down at the courthouse and I'll never forget this. I remember seeing a couple news cameras there and news stations in the halls with me. And one of them had a printout of the bike Portland story in their hand and with some notes scribbled on it. And that's when I started to realize, oh yeah. So the local media is using bike Portland for stories. And I get that dynamic because I came from PR and I know how the, the, the media works, but it never really occurred to me that they were getting story ideas from Bike Portland and that really switched something on for me in terms of like how it can have an impact. And that's been a big part of the story. And of course, once you start influencing the local uh, news cycle, I mean, politicians have to care about you. Agency people have to care about you. And obviously, once you have an audience and you have comments and you have uh, people of power and influence and policymakers reading and knowing that that's that's just they you know they can't deny that they need to sort of be accountable for that so see you know seeing a local tv uh, station having a printout of bike portland was one of the things i mean there was an early instance where odot read a story about uh, I, I posted pictures of somebody who'd slipped on some bike lanes on wet paint that odot had just restriped this great couple was on a tandem and they slipped and I had the pictures of their skin knees on the website. And I'm like, hey, this happened. This is a thing. These people are really mad. And it turns out ODOT didn't have any policies about putting warning signs up when paint was wet because, you know, a car is not going to slide out on a little strip of wet paint. Um, but it, but I happened to get an email from the director of the ODOT bicycling program who saw the story and said, hey, we never considered that. And now we'll, we'll start putting up signs and being more careful about that issue. And thank you for bringing it to our attention. So that was just the first few of what became obviously a bunch of, of instances where I started realizing that, oh, my goodness, OK, <laughs> this thing has some impact. People are reading. And then, of course, you know, years go down and that becomes uh, almost a burden in some ways. Uh, to try to manage uh, what that means uh, to be in charge of something that uh, politicians uh, use or want to use. Yeah, uh, for sure. you know, so there have been some not good uh, experiences in that regard. So 14 years, like what, what handful of stories are you most proud of? Oh, that's a hard question. I mean, it's like, which of your kids do you like the best? You know, I mean, I just, so many of them, I, I think are, are close are important to me and, and are close to me for various reasons. But, um, you know, I think one thing that always comes to mind is, uh, in, um, in 2000, late 2007, 2008, we had, uh, just a really tragic spate of crashes. We had two young people die within two weeks, uh, really in the central city for the most part, similar circumstances, large truck, right hooks. And, the, the stories that and the sort of energy that Bike Portland put into that was a absolutely like fundamental part of how the community responded uh, in terms of maybe we had the and the impacts of the stories that we were doing were, you know, you, were just uh, it was, was amazing, in, in, in my opinion, where uh, ultimately it led to the city uh, importing this bike box idea from Europe that they'd had sitting on a shelf and just didn't quite, you know, wasn't able to implement yet. 
Uh, and, you know, actually at one point I had a city staffer pull me aside after, after a press conference when they unveiled them and said, hey, without your stories about these deaths, you know, we wouldn't be doing these bike boxes. Uh, so I was super uh, proud of how Bike Portland was able to respond in that what I call our tragic October of 2017 when Tracy Sparling and Brett Drolemek died. Um, that's just, that's one thing. I mean, on a, on a much lighter note, the most amazing story in terms of going viral or whatever, and I, uh, was the, the story about Emily Finch and her, you know, her six kids that, and her car-free lifestyle. That was something I did not expect to be su such an amazing story for people or such a, something that people were surprised by. I get, I we're kind of in a bubble in Portland, I guess. And like, it wasn't, it was interesting enough to me that I want to meet her and, and take pictures and do a story. And I thought her story was great. She's a great person. But the response nationally and globally was really took me aback. Like, um, you know, just the idea that this woman could have her six kids and do it all by bike was really astonishing to people. And it was really fun to sort of ride that wave. I mean, I had uh, British tabloids call, getting in touch with me, wanting to sell the rights to the story. And stuff. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was and I did and they never paid. But, right. <laughs> you know, so but that was that was pretty fun. She ended up going down to L.A. and being on the Ricky Lake show because they saw the story. <laughs> it was just wild. Right. Um, so that, that that's kind of memorable. But, uh, you know, there's you know, we've done lots more serious stuff, too. I mean, like, you know, we did a. One year we sat down, I had a news editor working with me for three years that really, you know, Michael Anderson, who's really an amazing reporter, who took the, the site to another level. And that was for me, like personally, as a publisher and editor, the work I'm most proud of in terms of journalism. That's it was when Michael was here that we won, you know, two awards from the Society of Professional Journalists, uh, you know, for, for, for just different stories. Uh, we also put out just some really great stuff. Michael was able to introduce uh, like coverage on housing and why that's important and some of these like intersectional issues uh, that, that are so important to bicycling these days. Uh, so really proud of that. You know, we've got we've done a lot of uh, interviews with politicians and stuff like that that I think have have uh, given given people information they wouldn't have otherwise. I mean, it's a I think it's a luxury for a community to have somebody who's sort of dedicated to having this perspective uh, of bicycling and transportation generally. Um, it just, you know, not every, not every city has this. So I'm just really, you know, lucky to be able to be in that position to, to give people that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know in the past you've, um, you've, uh, talked about with some amount of pride, the, the comment section in, uh, mm -hmm. bike Portland. Um, like what, what is it about the comments that, that that's important to you? Well, there's a lot of things it's, it has, it's the approach to them is really something I take really seriously. Right. So and there's a lot of pieces to this. I keep thinking I should put it all into like a slide deck and, and start sharing it because I think it's so important, especially given the problems that we're having with the Internet today in 2019 and all the just the way that the Web has evolved. And so many people are down on it in large part because of how you how you manage with feed, how you manage feedback from the public. But I mean, in a lot of ways, I, I'm not the same as some other sites, right, because I cover I tend to cover one topic in one geographic area, so it's kind of a bubble in some regards. But as the site's grown and as we've covered more stuff, we certainly get a lot more varying opinions. I mean, and I wouldn't think that my comment section was a success if it didn't have a lot of different opinions. Some people assume it's an echo chamber. It's absolutely not. There's tons of, of arguments that happen in there. But because I, I value the comment section a lot, uh, it, it doesn't really get too far out of hand very often. Uh, it's not perfect. There's still, you know, I still have to moderate that it's sometimes, but, uh, and that's just, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. Well, so I spend a lot of time 
looking at them, reading them, uh, answering them. Uh, uh, I, I don't see the comments and the, the, the words that people share as, as having any less value than the words that I share. And that, that is a fundamental difference from any other news organization you're going to talk to. They either farm it out to some third party. They, they themselves will go on social media and say, don't read the comments, or they'll make bad comments about their own comment section. Like, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Like, if you care about the internet and you care about journalism in the community, and like what I think of it is as sort of the agora, right? The public agora, uh, you you have to care about comments, in my opinion. And if you don't, you're you're like not doing your job. So, I think that's been a mistake of some of the old legacy media is that they sort of see themselves as like the, you know, these these people with all the knowledge, the gatekeepers. And then outside, outside the castle walls are all the commenters and the other people, the quote unquote public. Like, I don't, that's not how I operate my business. Like, I know there's a lot of people in town. I'm never the smartest person in the room. Everybody else knows more than me. I'm just a person that gets to serve the information. So that, that comes through in the comments uh, where, you know, there's a lot of things I do too. Like, I always encourage offline, privately, I'll encourage people to come in who are part of the story and say, hey, please, you know, be a part of those comments, answer questions, especially if they're policymaker, newsmaker, you know, politician kind of person. Uh, and that's something I've always done. I try to highlight comments, have comments of the week and to show people that we value good comments and why. There's a ton of different uh, ways I approach it that I think are important. And it has, yeah, it has, it has led to like this idea that, you know, I'm on Bike Portland, you can actually read the comments. And I get super sensitive when people say that, you know, say anything bad about Bike Portland comments. And I know people say that, and it just really bums me out. And so I'll always defend them, you know, which is not a good sign of, you know, confidence, I guess, when you get defensive, but I can't help myself. I put, I just believe in the comment section so much that I, I will defend it. Uh, to, yeah. you know, there's better. some, there's some amazing content in there. I remember, I don't know if you highlighted uh, this particular comment, but it was just absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, this, this woman, she was a woman now, but uh, when she was a child, her, her uh, dad got in an accident there was some kind of brain injury, and then she commented years later, saying, "You know, my you know my dad was an avid cyclist, and you covered the story, and you know he, he hasn't been ever he hasn't been the same ever ever since, or something." Um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are the ones where like I'll stop and just you know I'll, I'll read stuff like that, and I'll just like take a deep breath, and it just reminds you like why why we spend so much time creating content, right? I mean, I'm sure you get you get stuff like that where people were turned on by something or inspired by pathless pedal. And it's just those, you need those things if you've been in this game, like we have this long. And, and I, I love reading stuff like that. But I mean, that goes back to kind of a, a, a pragmatic logistical thing, which is like, I don't have any walls or anything up to leaving comments. You can be anonymous. Uh, there's no sign in. You just, just leave your comment. Well, why do I do that? Because people like you mentioned that, that woman you mentioned, right? I mean, if you need to comment five years later about a story or whatever, and you don't want to leave in it, fine. I don't care. I'm not going to put up walls to hearing feedback. Uh, so that just means I'll spend a little more time maybe uh, moderating stuff. That's fine. It's worth it to me, right? It's all about how much you value that feedback and that that community loop, right? I value it a tremendous amount. So then I'm willing to invest my time into it. You know, even as a one person business, uh, that's something that I, I still, I, yeah, I invest a lot of time in. And you know, it does it pencil out financially? Probably not. But then again, you know, on Monday will be my 14th year. And I think a big part of surviving this long is the fact that, you know, people respect um, stuff like that. And like I said earlier, you have to do something different, right? And how, and how many sites I think care that much about their comment section 
and like you said, they're so full of great information. I mean, Portland is lucky and the people, you know, the bike Portland, we're so lucky to have so many smart people that sit there and take time to share really good info. And, you know, it's humbling. I mean, I'll work really hard on a story and realize that all these new revelations are coming out in the comments. Right. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. You want to work for me? Like I would have been great to, you know, have in the story, but anyway. Right. Uh, so 14 years, how, how do you avoid burnout? I mean, it just seems like, you know, not only is it like labor intensive, but, you know, probably just emotionally draining at times. Oh yeah. Lots of emotional draining, uh, especially as, you know, in this day, in these last several years, as these, these issues have gotten so intense for people and people are struggling with so many issues and it all spills over into, into bike Portland somehow. Uh, um, but you know, part of it is just practice. I've, I've been, it's been a roller coaster and I've been at the end of the line enough times that every time I get there and I'm thinking, man, why the hell am I doing this? It's not, it like, I have no, you know, like I don't get benefits from this job. I have three kids, two are in high school, college. I mean, all this stuff. And it's like, why am I still doing this? But then every time I go through that, I learn a lot at the end of that little, little end of that tunnel, right? And once the light comes back on at the end of that tunnel, I feel so much better. And so each time I think I go through that, there's a learning process and an evolution in my head that takes place. And I get better at managing this stuff. And I'm still, it's a work in progress because the weird thing about by Portland and the journalism that happens on there is that I'm a big part of my heart and my head is activism. Like I care deeply about this stuff and the people involved in these stories. And I bike around the city and they get super frustrated about certain things. And I, it's like almost like I know too much, right? I hear all about all these problems and people emailing me and all this pain and suffering that's going on. And I just want to fix it all. Um, but, you know, I've gotten better at being able to step back from that a little bit. Uh, and my kids have been a big part of that. I, I have my two daughters are 16 and 13. And I and they were in sort of this wonderful stage of their life when I was putting as much time as I ever have into Bike Portland. And that's something that I always, you know, that's something I really regret. I spent way too much time working and building the infrastructure that exists now that so that the site can be healthy. But, you know, I always say I have four kids, right? Three kids and one blog. But I spent so much time on that. And then so what the neat thing is, is I have an eight-year-old boy. So there's a gap from 13 to eight. And he's helped me look back and say, well, I'm not going to do that again. And so I look at my boy and I'm like, it, it's helped me balance it, And it's reminded me, wow, I don't feel like I was there for my girls enough because I was too focused on work and I don't want to do that with my boy. So that's another thing that really helps me distance myself. And a, and a big part of it too, is just like, it's just practice. I mean, um, I still do a ton of stuff, but I don't, I don't go out as much as I used to. There were years and years and years, probably seven or eight or nine years where I would go out to like so many meetings, so many events. I was always on and that stuff really where that's what really wears on you. I mean, if you can imagine working like like you do, you know, you work all week and the days are long and you're dealing with these issues and everybody's intense and this news has to happen and people blah, blah, blah. And then Saturday, Sunday, you go out and cover an event. Right. <laughs> you're shooting photos and you're processing photos and you're talking to people at the event and you're working all that up and you like you want to have it fresh for Monday. And then you realize Monday gets here and you're like, oh, shit, it's Monday. <laughs> the whole cycle starts. And, and I, that would happen to me, you know, week after week. And I realized there's never a break. So I don't do that anymore. <laughs> 
you know, I just don't do that. It's rare. It's more rare that I'll cover events on the weekend. Uh, I'm much more selective about what I do during the week. I mean, it's got to be, you got to be bringing something really hot and fresh for me to go out to it, really. Or it's got to be really pressing news, obviously, or like a big policy thing that I think is really at a crux moment that I want to be there for. So I try to be a lot more selective. And that comes with the practice and the time put in, too. Like, I know I know where I need to be for the most part, and I try to be there. Ideally, and what I'm trying to get to is like, when I know that there are things I need to be at that I can't be at, I can just hire someone to go do it. And I'm trying to get better at that, although that uh, that also takes more revenue because you have to pay people. And I don't, I'm not good at having people work for free, so I always I always pay uh, for everything. So yeah, it's it's just it's part it's part practice, it's part realizing. The longer I've been doing this, the more value, the more I realize how valuable it is that I've been doing it so long. And I don't I don't want to jeopardize that. And I know that burning out and giving up would throw all that away. There have been those moments, you know, where I've lost my faith. Right. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, I look and see a job description pop up for some agency or something. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I could totally own that. That would be wonderful. And there'd be benefits and all this stuff. And then I just kick myself for even thinking about it because I, can you imagine, I, I couldn't imagine I'll never do anything this cool ever again. I mean, at 44, not that I know that's not super old, but that is a moment in your life where <laughs> things start to shift. And I just can't imagine ever doing anything this cool. And so to walk away from it, I just think would be such a mistake. And I just still love it so much. It's still super fun. It's challenging in different ways. I'm trying to make it survive. I'm trying to like, you know, deal with the added expectations and, and sort of pressures that come around with being around this long and having the kind of like audience that we have. And it's it's super neat. It's super interesting. And I love being in the middle of all this stuff uh, still. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, um, you know, Laura and I have hit that point, too, on occasion where it's like, what the heck are we doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. But like, but like you said, you've just, we've invested like so much time, have this kind of li- library of content, have brought people along, um, you know, through the journey, you know, as your site has changed, they've still stuck around, people come and go. And it seems like so wasteful or ashamed to like throw it all away. And when, when I get to that point, I always think about what else would I rather be doing? I really can't think of something else. I mean, I'd yeah. still rather do this. I wish it paid more. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, it, part, that's part of it. There aren't a ton of things that I would rather do. Yeah, <laughs> there just aren't. I mean, if I if I did something, I'd want to be, you know, the things that have attracted me are working at transportation agencies to do communications and marketing to the community, which is <laughs> it sounds in a large part what I do now. Yeah. Right. And I think I have I have such an a really interesting amount of experience in dealing with the community in a way that can also face the public and talk to people from different walks of life and interface with politicians and everybody from different things. That I, I kind of want to share that more. And, and while that comes into play in the work that I do in Bike Portland, it I don't necessarily get to tap into that piece of my experience as much. So there's always that sense of gosh, you know, there there are places I think I could be valuable in transportation agencies, let's say, to share some of that experience. And I see them making all kinds of mistakes and I see, you know, and I'd love to help. But that's, you know, those are few and far between. And like I said, each time I face those, I've I've evolved and learned a little bit where I go, oh, my God, if I would have taken that step, I would have regretted it so much, so much. (laughs) I mean, there have been moments where I thought that was all I wanted. Six figure salaries, you know, right there in my face thinking I got this. 
And then, and I was so close to putting all my chips on that. And then, and the other end of it, on the other side, I thought, oh my God, I'm so happy I didn't do that. I am so happy. And, and I, and I, now I don't think, you know, unless I always think like, maybe you've had this thought, but, and it used, I used to have this thought more earlier and I guess I've gotten less uh, naive now, but the only thing that would probably take me off this beat would be like some huge angel investor, some, some person with a lot of money that understands a value that I can bring maybe to a community or to a topic or whatever with my weird set of skills and was able to like make some crazy offer. Right. (laughs) All the boxes. Right. And then I would be like, oh, that would be that could be (laughs) that'd be great. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like basically, you know, but then again, if that happened, I'd probably tell that investor, hey, I invested in bipolar. (laughs) 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 Can you like you would probably do this. Hey, give me the money that I need to do this work that, you know, I've spent all the best years of my life together, (laughs) you know, for sure. Uh, And it gets back to like, yeah, I think you're feeling the same thing. It's like, you know, from, I mean, imagine I started this thing when I was 30 years old and now I'm 44. I mean, those are the prime, those are your prime years of production when you have enough knowledge to actually make things happen and the energy to do them right earlier than that, you're still, you don't know what the heck's going on. And after, you know, now you're starting to lose the energy. So man, I, I, I would just, uh, I don't know anything that would take me off of this. Yeah. So I remember uh, a couple of years ago, um, you, you held a kind of a, a party event over at uh, VeloCult. Yeah. And um, you opened up the website to being supported directly by the community. Like, do you think that's the future of, I guess, journalism or, or, or sites like, like ours? Without a doubt. Yeah. I don't think there's any question um, I follow a lot of media blogs and site blogs. I got to keep people don't refer them to them as blogs anymore. <laughs> I follow a lot of media, uh, you know, sources and stuff, right? Like through Twitter and everything else. And I read a ton of stuff in the media world about what's working and what's not. And it, that's what works. Every, I mean, I just read what the Financial Times, which is a very respected uh, newspaper and outlet. They've they've just reached some huge. Uh, pinnacle of reader support. I mean, everybody down the line, the Guardian's doing it. Uh, Look at the New York Times. I mean, they're making more money than they ever have expanding the newsroom based mostly on their $20 a month subscriptions. I mean, that's really where it's at. And that's, that's definitely, that's definitely my future. Um, I think advertisers will always be a part of it. Um, But in the constrained environment of having limited time, uh, I would much rather have you know, not really have to deal with advertisers because it just takes so much more time and care and feeding uh, than subscribers do to some degree. Uh, and I also think that, you know, it, it, it just feels good being supported by a community. Um, I always like to tell people that, you know, uh, no one advertiser is more valuable to me than the value of the community support, right? And I can, if anybody wants to try to call me out for selling out or giving, you know, bias toward an advertiser, yeah, whatever, come at me. I'm happy to have that conversation. If you want to think about it, like the most an advertiser's ever paid to be on Bike Portland on an extended campaign is, you know, a thousand or so dollars a month, let's say. And so now with the subscription program, like as of 2015, we're making much more than that every month by having subscribers. So why there is no... You know, unless 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 a huge brand want to come in and spend ten thousand dollars a month, well, then I may have some quantity to <laughs> talk about. You know, uh, but and I've actually told this to advertisers to their face and kind of regretted it every time. But I say, hey, 
you know, don't think you're going to come on here and get a free pass. It's like, I'll throw any advertiser under the bus if I feel like it's necessary. If it's a local business and they do something wrong, they're going to read about it on Bike Portland. And I've actually fielded calls in that regard before. I mean, we had an advertiser bike shop once that, and someone had a really bad experience doing a return and exchange. Uh, and I ended up doing a story about it. I forget the actual reasons, but, and I got a call from the owner of the shop and he was like, man, you guys are killing us on the site. We're getting, we're getting destroyed in those comments. And I'm like, Hey, uh, is there anything inaccurate about what I wrote? Let me know and I'll fix it. If not, go ahead and air your grievance on the phone. And have <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, there's none of that uh, on bike Portland. Um, so, you know, that's, that's an important aspect of it. Yeah. But subscribers, definitely the future. Uh, it's something that, that just, it also takes a lot of time though, obviously, you know, to kind of keep that going. Um, you know, I just hope that people advertisers or subscribers, I hope they see and, and just, look at the work that's coming out, right? I mean, maybe you have the same feeling. I don't want to do a bunch of big song and dance to impress advertisers or to get advertisers or to convince subscribers to to keep supporting Bike Portland or new ones to support. What I've always done since day one is thought if I keep the work output strong and I keep the quality day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, people will notice and they'll support it. And, you know, I, I think if I had a little bit more of the like, no, I just got to make money. So I'm going to focus on that. I probably, maybe I'd be in a little bit better financial shape, but Hey, 14 years and counting, you know, we have a lot of loyal support. And, uh, I think it's because of that. It's because I don't chase money around. I chase content, right? I chase good stories and hope that people see that in the community. Um, so, but that's, that's a little bit of a risk, you know, and I got yeah. <laughs> college plans to think about here and up and you know, you never know. Right. So if you're not a subscriber yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, yeah, I'm just sure. really good at pitching it. I just yeah. don't, that's just not how I'm, how I'm wired. You know, I thought really, uh, I, I went through a huge thing of like a year or so thinking I'd be a nonprofit. You know, I had a whole strategic plan set up and talking to people. I even got rid of my uh, corporate corporate name in Oregon and refiled as a public benefit. I was there. I was on the way, and it wasn't. It was only because I had a few more conversations with a few people in the community I respect who really jarred me and said and made me think, oh, maybe that's not the right path. But you know, that would have really shifted everything. And I was starting to try to like retrain my brain to like learn how to ask for money because that's what nonprofits are really good at, right? They are great at getting money out of people. And by Portland's not. Uh, so instead of trying to sort of change <clears throat> and become that, you know, I gave up that idea. I'm not I'm not going to be a nonprofit. I'm committed to being a private corporation. Uh, but there's still a need to get better at asking for money, asking for support. You know, so that's something I'm working on, trying to get more aggressive on that. But, man, it's hard to do those both those things as a news <laughs> outlet because, you know, it's there's a certain burnout, right? Like, you know, you only want to you only want to reach people so many times. And if you use those moments to ask them for money, I just think it kind of burns them out a little bit and they, they stop following you, but that's probably just me overthinking it. So I want to get more, I want to get all signal, no noise, right? That's our, that's my goal. So, but maybe a little bit more noise would help pay the bills, you know? <laughs> yeah. We've gone through kind of like a, a similar journey where, um, you know, like we, we go after, uh, brands as advertisers, but quickly realize there's maybe a handful of brands that'd be willing to advertise and their resources are small, but in terms of like the people you can reach, you can always grow the audience and the potential subscriber base. And I think it's, it's interesting times. I feel like maybe, you know, 14 years ago, that would have been a, a hard ask. Mm -hmm. 
but now you know people are used to subscribing to netflix or whatever yeah. you know it's just that the there's been a paradigm shift in like okay i can give monthly to these things i love yeah absolutely and i think that helps content people like you and i for sure because that's become more normal and it's totally flipped right because there were years where it was just easy money for bike portland really i mean i say that kind of as a joke but you know when banner ads were the hot thing <clears throat> right and, and and enough people in this in this town and even nationally i was i was getting national ads for a while there they realized that like man if you want to get in front of that bike portland audience like you got to have a banner that's just what you need and it was it was great people would send a banner i'd put it on the site and the checks would come in the mail they didn't they didn't care about anything else. all they just want is their banner but obviously that's just flipped on its head because now ban nobody cares about banners right. <laughs> Right. And then you had people spend their money making their own Facebook videos or their own channels, all that stuff. So that has been a, a huge shift. Right. In terms of like that whole conversation. So, yeah, it's much uh, more difficult not just to get advertisers interested, but then to to uh, to give them what they want and to service their needs, which is like now when I sell campaigns to people. You know, it's obviously not just a banner ad. I love right. the few that we still have that all all they really have is their banner um, because they're so easy, right? But uh, most people now they want uh, they want to be mentioned on Twitter. They want to be they want to have some presence at like an event, or they want to be in our email newsletter. They all these different things. Or they want an article written. They want to sponsor something. You know, so it takes a lot more time to to service that, and that's where you know I'm kind of uh, you know, there's always that debate: uh, is that worth chasing? that money and there's so there's a you know there's a certain dollar amount that i that i try to focus on when i'm dealing with that because it's just it's just not worth it i mean you know subscribers are great as you know but like in my in my case most of them are paying ten dollars a month and it sounds great to focus on subscribers but man you need a lot of subscribers to equal one advertiser coming in and saying sure how much is it okay 750 a month fine sign us up for six months i mean wow so that's still so seductive right so it's hard to give up it's hard to give that up so you know, we're still trying to do like both all things. And, and by the way, we have to create stories every day. <laughs> you know, so let's, let's say if, um, if, uh, if money were, were not an issue, like what, how would bike Portland change? How would you expand coverage? Like what, oh, yeah. like what are, what are the things that, that yep. you have been stockpiling, but mm -hmm. we're waiting just for the right amount of resources? Oh, without a doubt, I would build out a team immediately. You know, I'd have I'd have a sales and, and subscriber team, right? I'd have a person who would be solely in charge of of making sure our subscribers are really super excited. I'd have an events person. We'd put on regular events once a month at least, if not more, uh, because events for the media business have become really great, good opportunities to create revenue. And they're just great for the Bike Portland brand because we're all about getting people face to face and talking. So I would have an events person. You know, I'd have a weekend editor to take my mind off having to go to events. So definitely would build up staff if I had money. That's so key. I think I'm in a great position to actually like not manage people necessarily because there's still a lot of work I want to do that doesn't have involved with like managing people. But I'm in a great position of like knowing what needs to get done because I've been doing it for myself for so long. And and I would also <clears throat> one thing I really, really, really would always wanted to do for years now is just sort of open bureaus throughout the city. Right. Portland geographically is a big area. And even if you take the region. I would really love to have a West Side correspondent to cover the other side of the hill, an East Portland correspondent who only focuses and who lives east of 82nd, east of 205, a, a North Portland correspondent who lives up in St. John's, right? There are so many stories and issues going uncovered because I can't physically get there, obviously. I'm not on the ground in those places. So 
that would open up a tremendous amount of <laughs> stories. You, you'd go on the site and you'd drop down to your neighborhood and you'd see what's hot. You'd figure out how to plug into your neighborhood stuff. Those are just some of the things, but they all take, you know, they take technological infrastructure. So there's money to pay to a web developer to create that. There's money to pay for people to sort of be on the ground. I'd love to do more sort of local journalism trainings where I could go to East Portland and whether it's young people, old people, I don't care, but talk about how do you do community journalism? How do you start telling stories about your neighborhood and start creating power and, and sharing different voices, right? That would be really great. Uh, but I'm in this, <clears throat> this problem where all those things take money and time. And, you know, I'm on this treadmill every day to serve the immediate needs of what I need to get done. Money would be awesome. And I think just having a chunk of money to do marketing. I mean, right now I'm thinking of talking to a local paper to do my first ever advertisement because they're having a bike issue and I've always wanted to advertise in there. There's, there are tens of thousands of new people in Portland every year, right? Or whatever the number is. And a lot of them have no idea what the hell bike Portland is. Right. <laughs> they think it's, they think it's an advocacy organization. They think, who knows what they think? We just ride our bikes around and like, I don't know, <clears throat> but I need those people, right? I want those people to come into the site, to find some resources. We have a great calendar. We can turn them on to all kinds of cool things. But if you don't do marketing, you can't get in front of them, right? And I've never done marketing because I've always just relied on word of mouth and thought, again, if I just do the work, it'll work out. But I would love to have a chunk of change to like hire someone to take this Bike Portland e-bike that I've got now that's got my sign on the side of it, park, park it, you know, go to some new apartment building and park it in the lobby and pass out, you know, little gifts and get people to sign up for our emails, right? I would pay for someone to do that right away. I'd love to have a big chunk of change to getting ads in local papers and magazines and just signs and sponsor other events. Right. So I could go on and on about what I do with money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll wrap it up uh, pretty uh, soon, but looking back, what do, what do you, what have you learned over the years that you wish your younger self knew and would implement back then? Or would you do things the same? I definitely wouldn't do things the same. Um, I think one of the things I love best about Bike Portland is all the things I've learned and how much I've changed and the fact that I have the ability to then share that knowledge with people, right, and make the product better and make what we do better. Um, I've learned a tremendous amount about uh, racial justice and social justice issues that I, that I didn't know years ago. Uh, and had I known what I know now, given the experiences I'd gone through, there would have been, I think, a big opportunity for Bike Portland and bicycling in general in Portland to impact some issues differently. And I think there's been some slide in those issues, partly because of the way Bike Portland uh, covered them, right, let's say. Uh, but I've been through some experiences that have fundamentally shifted my brain chemistry forever. Uh, and I wish I'd had that happen, you know, prior to making some pretty public mistakes uh, around race, especially and how it intersects with cycling. So that's that's the one that I that comes to mind first. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, I've made I've made all kinds of, of of mistakes. I mean, I like to tell people that you know I've I've had this super public uh, education, right? <laughs> and people get to. I mean, just you know, it's true. It, I've lived my life on the internet for these fourteen years, right? So every day, especially with social media now, it's even less of a filter where I'm I'm sharing thoughts and I'm sharing my perspectives on all this stuff every day. So there's all kinds of mistakes being made. Um, you know, I recently did a story about homeless people camping on a really popular path here in Portland. And I, I would have done that differently had I to do over again. And next time that story comes up, I will use that, right? I got a ton of criticism for how I covered that. 
and I don't because I don't dismiss comments because I don't dis dismiss criticism or feedback. I'm going to use that going forward. So it's a, it's there's like a constant evolution for sure. Um, I don't know what else. I think maybe I'd set up the website differently in terms of the architecture. I don't think enough people can know and appreciate this, but the theme that runs Bike Portland, it's a WordPress theme, right? That's the the, the software that runs the site is the same theme that I bought in like 2015 or sorry, in, tw in 2005, it's exactly the same free theme I got from some random dude on the internet. And that is what runs this thing. And that keeps me up at night sometimes thinking how many gremlins are buried inside the code, right? And so we've Frankensteined it thanks to like really smart web people that I've had over the years working on the site. We've, you know, cobbled together like a functioning thing. But I think having it to do over again years ago, I probably would have scrapped that and had like a more solid web architecture. Because you know how it is, each year that it survives, it's hard to kind of like get, break free of it. So we're stuck with this theme from that I got, oh God, this 2004 theme. The guy has since moved on, right? So like, I can't just email and be like, yo, the theme is broken. Like the old, it's long gone. So uh, if, if something happened to the site, I'd be over a barrel and I'd just be paying whatever it costs to fix it. Uh, so I would probably do something different and make the site a little more stable. Uh, and you know, there's all those life lessons too. I would have spent more time with my kids back in the day. I think I worked too hard. Uh, and, uh, so that's something I would do different for sure. Uh, I, I would, I would have been smarter about the business side, you know, of course, yeah. <laughs> try to make it so that my wife who has, you know, been so supportive and letting me do this, or, or I don't know if letting is the right word, but has, let's say, allowed me to keep pursuing my dream. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, who went back to work, you know, several years ago. And it's kind of like the side eye I get of like, yep, yeah, had to go back to work because you're still, <laughs> you're still blogging. <laughs> so there's that, I, you know, I'd probably try to be a little more responsible about, about the business end of things. But, you know, it's, it's, it's constant evolution, learning, making mistakes. Uh, last question. It's kind of a big question. I don't know if we can wrap it up so neatly on this one. But where is cycling in, in terms of the narrative arc in Portland? One big impetus that made me want to reach out to you to do this interview was a was your story about um, the the bike bar, like mm. rebranding, dropping the the bikiness. Yeah. Is that a sign of decline, or is biking so part of the fabric now that businesses don't have to signal that they're bikey? Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of both, but I think it's certainly a sign of the times. I mean, we're in a really weird spot in Portland around biking. It's certainly. I think it's a, a trouble spot that's worth thinking about and being conscious of. Um, but yeah, uh, the shine of the apple is kind of off of, 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 of cycling in Portland. And it's been a slow decline. <clears throat> uh, started as a plateau and then I think has reached a decline. Basically, from all these different, there's been a lot of different factors, economic, social, political, that have resulted in bicycling in terms of labeling it as such, not just not being the hot thing anymore in Portland. It's just not. Uh, some of those I would argue are unfortunate. Some I think are reasonable and good. Like for instance, a big one is there were many years when bike Portland was really coming on where bicycling was like arguably one of the biggest issues in the city council. If you're on city council, you, we had bike people on council. It, biking was just always part of the conversation. It seemed like, but in recent years, as we've struggled with, you know, police brutality, racial injustice, uh, people can't afford to live here anymore all these really important issues have taken a lot of the energy of the same activists that used to put all out of the energy 
in cycling, let's say. So that's a piece of it. And also politically, um, cycling has unfortunately become sort of labeled as a political liability for a lot of different reasons. So we've gone with for two mayors now in Portland that basically haven't said the word bicycling at all, if you could believe it. Uh, and it started with, you know, Sam Adams in around 2010, you know, who was our last sort of bicycling mayor. Uh, and he got he got in an, into a scandal and it really sort of kneecapped his ability to talk about bicycling. Uh, and no, the, the, the two mayors that have succeeded him uh, have not been willing to take it up for a variety of reasons that are way too long to go into now. But, yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. You know, we've had this whole comeuppance with, you know, intersectionality and you have groups like our big advocacy group, the Bicycle Transportation Alliance, several years ago changes their name to the Street Trust, right? And you see that over and over and over again with people dropping the word bicycling. You know, our city of our city's transportation department doesn't do bike projects. They won't there's nothing called bike project where they used to. It's all safety project or it's a vision zero project or it's a multimodal access to transit project, right? And that's all of course related to the lack of political uh, favor that cycling, right? So all these things are interrelated. Um, but yeah, there's other structural things too. Like <clears throat> a lot of the great bike culture I used to cover here in Portland, a lot of the things that gave it its juice and excitement were done by people that lived in the inner central city. Now, because of housing prices being so expensive, everybody's moved out, right? So all that energy is just totally dispersed. And so they can't do this many rides and there's not as much energy. They can't show up to meetings downtown for stuff. And then they've been replaced by people from California, from wherever else, who don't really participate in that sort of thing. So that's another, you know, another big factor. Uh, people just live further out and it's taken that core of sort of bike culture away. So, I mean, I think, I think most people listening are with it enough to realize too, that in 2018, 2019, where we are right now as a country in terms of politics and the pressing issues we face I personally, as someone who's a major bike advocate who wants to be a voice for cycling, I don't think it's very good optics to be out there necessarily blowing, you know, tooting the horn for cycling. I don't, I don't think it's our, it's a good time to necessarily be out there saying, "Hey, cycling is the cure all. It's great." I still believe that stuff inside, and I'm trying to find ways to work it into the narrative. But I think it's time. It's good in some ways that you know an issue like cycling needs to take a step back and sort of be a little bit more quiet and let things like, you know, whatever it is, uh, people being discriminated against because, you know, they're not native to this country, whatever issue that's taking a lot of energy, uh, rightfully so. And so, especially in a place like Portland that is super progressive, there's a lot of people here who are fighting for all kinds of important issues. And I'm not gonna be the one that stands up and says, Hey everybody, don't forget about cycling. Right. I mean, right. That's ridiculous, <laughs> right. So yeah. I'm happy to kind of like hold the, hold the line, you know, hold the line. I've got this thread when it's time to sort of start making more noise Bike Portland's going to be here. It can come back out of the shadows and I hope cycling will follow it, you know, to some degree. I was thinking about, like you were saying, like with people like, uh, they used to do all the bikey stuff. They, they've also aged. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and, right. So, so a lot of it's just like maturing, like recognizing, you know, that 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 hot initial passions also related to, like you said, different things that that make everything so complicated. So in some ways, it's almost like a, a maturation, you know, knowing that cycling isn't the the end all be all silver bullet, but it's just part of, you know, a solution. Yeah. And I think we just, you know, we, we rode that wave when we could. And now I just think the wave has, has, has crested and it's, it's just now we're part of the tide, you know, we're just out in the ocean and that's fine. 
Uh, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's I've never put all my chips into like being some bike cultural thing, right? As you know, I'm real careful about that. I don't talk about the bike community, the bike culture. I talk about a community and a culture. And that's another reason why I'm not saddled to thinking that, you know, it has to be all cycling all the time. Uh, but, you know, in terms from a business standpoint and a community leadership standpoint, it's like, and what it means to bike Portland that this, this has changed is that, hey, what service can we provide to the community? What can we do that gives people something of value that they'll pay for or that they'll care about, right? So you'll you'll notice like that's manifested in the fact that like I spent a lot of time making our event calendar work. I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, doing these more service pieces like when certain routes going to be closed or whatever it's going to be. And honestly, I have a lot fewer cultural things to cover, which is interesting thing that that, that provided so much of the content for those those earlier years. And those those stories just aren't there. So. Uh, it's just been a huge shift in sort of like what I can cover, where the stories are big, big shifts, but you know, as you've experienced as well, but you know, here we are, I'm still here. I'm a survivor. And you know, with each year, with each new year that comes and goes, I feel like, you know, that value of the community is even greater. And it's kind of like, Hey, you know, you're not going to get me off this rock. Like I'm here and that's it. So deal with it. (laughs) Cool. Well, let's uh, wrap up on that note. Uh, so thank you personally for, for what you do. Uh, you've definitely inspired Laura and I to, to do our own bike content adventures. Um, I think having left Portland and seeing, you know, the big news, news gap that you, we have here that, you know, that you filled in Portland, it made me like appreciate your, your site a lot more. And if you're listening to this uh, podcast and you live in Portland or have been inspired by, by Portland, be sure to hop on and uh, become a subscriber because Jonathan won't tell you, but I will. <laughs> uh, and uh, thank you so much, Jonathan, for being on our podcast. Thank you, Russ. This was fun. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. And if you enjoyed it, don't forget to leave a rating or review in iTunes or however you discovered it. And if you like content like this, consider supporting it. Uh, Check out the show notes and also consider supporting Bike Portland. Jonathan is doing good work, amazing work, definitely a big inspiration for us. And we want to see 14 more years of Bike Portland if he'll do it. As always, keep the supple side down.